Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. Well, hello and welcome to uh, this week's Painting of the Week. And Laura and I have actually been on our travels to an exhibition. A day trip. A day trip, which we do from time to time, (laughs) for your delectation. And we went to the Royal Academy in London to see um, uh, um, a really fantastic exhibition called Spain and the Hispanic World. And unless I'm mistaken, every object in the exhibition is from the Hispanic Society in New York, which is currently closed for renovation. Um, and there were plenty of paintings and vases and busts and... Tapestries. S- tapestries. Silks. And silks and so... It, actually, um, as a Hispanophile myself, a lover of Spain, mm-hmm. what I really enjoyed about this exhibition is it, it's a kind of romp through Spanish history um, obviously it's rather partial, it's not complete, of course, but um, you get a wonderful sense of Spanish history and culture from just this one collection, which, as ever at the Royal Academy, is beautifully presented. Um, there is a route through, it is broadly chronological, um, it is pretty much one of those exhibitions which is will show you what we've got, um, so, you know, there'll be gaps. But um, it was fabulous. Now, wouldn't you say, Laura? Oh, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I was going to try and uh, find some kind of negatives, but I, I couldn't. You know what I'm like. I had a smile on my face. It was just fun. It was just fun in there, really fun. It was a good day out, wasn't it? Was it was nice. Really enjoyed it. And, yeah, I mean, it was really buzzing in there. Royal Academy is fantastic. Mm. I mean, we've worked with them for 20 years more. And um, it just gets better and better. Yeah, I wonder if people do get that buzz of excitement just walking in. Yes. I definitely do. But the other thing about... I mean, the thing about the Royal Academy, for those that don't know it terribly well, is that um, obviously they have Royal Aca- Academicians, so people that have gone through the Royal Academy. I mean, people go there to learn how to become artists yeah. or improve as artists and so it's a working academy um it has a very small permanent collection so it's not like the national gallery or the tate by any means it does have some things and people perhaps don't um realize this but if you we'll talk about that in a second but it has some beautiful objects which it owns which are on display but when I went to film college in the mid-19 or early 1980s, the building directly behind the Royal Academy was the Museum of London. And it was a fabulous place. I used to love going around it. And, it, it, you know, you'd have a, I don't know, a Javanese rice barn next to an Amazonian <laughs> canoe. And it was just brilliant. And it definitely fueled my interest in travel. Mm. Um, and um, I got to know a wonderful... Um, historian and author and traveller called Nigel Barley uh, who's written some fantastic books we had a great series idea about the way 
that human beings commemorate death, all the different traditions, and um, we didn't get commissioned in the end. Anyway. That sounds like but that could have been really good. It would have been mm. very good. Anyway, okay. fantastic building, but it, the museum closed, unfortunately. And um, anyway, over the last decade, the museum was bought by the Royal Academy and they've transformed it. They've almost doubled that. I guess they must have doubled their size by knocking through from the back of their wall to the back of the Museum of London, which is now part of the Royal Academy. So it's a big space and they have a number of exhibition spaces. This exhibition was in the main galleries and um, I've rarely been disappointed by a Royal Academy exhibition, I have to say. And I wasn't disappointed by this one. That was um, lovely. And I think the variety was lovely. Yeah. Which maybe some people, don't know, if people didn't, I mean, I can't imagine who wouldn't like it, but I'm all sure there's somebody. Well, it's not, I mean, one wouldn't go to an exhibition if it was, I wouldn't go to an exhibition if it was just pottery or silks. No, I, I mean, think I would. <laughs> uh, that's good. I mean, I... But, and, of course, we go to plenty, which are just paintings. What, yeah. but this, I think it's nice that this was a real mix. And so I was certainly encouraged to look at things that I wouldn't normally look at. But we did kind of pre-select, didn't we, what was going to be our painting of choice. Yes. Which was uh, a painting by Goya called The Duchess of Alba. Now... Incidentally, I, I must remind those people who are listening, if you want to see the painting that we're about to discuss, if you go to 7th-art.com, so our website, press on podcast and the picture will be there. Or go to YouTube and same thing, you can listen to us chattering away and see the picture. Um, this picture featured quite significantly in a previous film that we made at the Royal Academy, funnily enough, uh, about Manet. It was in our very first season of Exhibition on Screen. Um, it was one of our very earliest films, 2013, so 10 years ago. And I remember the excellent curator, Xavier Bray, who is now the director of The Wallace. And, um, no, I'm sorry, I'll take that back. I'll take that back. It wasn't Xavier. <clears throat> anyway, I remember the difficulties they had in get, getting the loan of this particular painting because the Hispanic Society really don't often lend it. So it was, I thought it was quite significant that it had come back. Um, and we chose that one, this one to look at. So just to point out, famously, perhaps, there are two paintings that Goya did of the Duchess of Alba. Uh, or, the, or it's almost a pair. So they've got the Duchess in white and the Duchess in black. A little bit of history. He did the Duchess in white, if you're interested, look it up, in 1795. Mm -hmm. So he was in his late 30s. And she's not much younger, maybe five, six years younger. Then her husband dies in 1796. And... <clears throat> He comes back to paint her again, and she's essentially in mourning. We'll talk about some of the details in a second. Um, there is often claimed to be a real frisson with this painting because it is said that she's a, you know, a very attractive woman, 
and she's wearing on she's got two rings one of which says goya and the other one says alba and she's also pointing down to the sand where somebody has inscribed in the sand solo goya only goya mm. um it has to be said that goya at this point was about 20 oh, actually no he's I think a bit old he's older than i just said isn't he he's um I think so. I think he's a little bit older than her. He's about 20 years old. 20 years older, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um... So she, he was 1746 when he was born. She, Yeah, she was 1762 when she was born. OK, so she's 35. 34, yeah. 35. Yeah. When's he born? Uh, 1746. 1746, mm. and he's 50. So he's a bit older. Yeah, a little bit older. Yeah, I mean, not 20 much. 20 years. That's not much in <clears throat> But... <laughs> He's already. Um, when did he have his illness? When he suffered his, his uh, hearing that, loss? Look at me, 1792. Yeah, I've so, had the felt tips out. Let me tell you. So he'd, he'd essentially gone deaf from a mysterious illness before this. Um, anyway, it, I, I think it's probably unlikely that they had a relationship. I think that's a bit of a romantic myth. But you better tell you, you kind of ruined that a little bit, though, Phil. It's quite nice that everyone thinks that they might have done. Mm. Well, <laughs> I mean, the, fact been... the, the fact that the, du- the Duchess is there, her painting, and right next to it is the Duke. Mm. Um, in, it... They're very similar paintings in colours and stuff. No one was looking at that at all. No, they weren't. Everyone was standing around her. And is that only due to the fact that there is a little bit of mystery that perhaps you know how she's looking at him things like that i mean well i mean story (laughs) sometimes sometimes of course paintings carry with them you know a status yeah so people make a beeline for a painting they've heard of Mm. um and that's certainly the case with this one i think I, i more than one review of this show has you know used this image as to illustrate oh yeah no, definitely. <clears throat> I mean, it is a fascinating painting to look at. And, of course, not only the ring and the inscription in the sand, but what she's wearing and the river behind her. And um, I think you could actually commission a series on paintings where someone's pointing. Yeah. Because I feel like we've been doing a lot recently. Because that is funny, the way she's pointing down to that. I, I, that the inscription in the sand. I think it's really strange. I yeah. mean, this is supposed to be her mourning her husband, mm. and yet she's pointing down at uh, somebody who's written in the sand. What would normally be a kind of a, a kind of romantic thing, isn't it? Only Goya. Mm. If <laughs> I mean, one year after the death of her, remember she's part of the nobility. I mean, she's dressed in kind of lower social class clothing yeah and um but still you know she's almost presenting herself as you know a woman of the people but she is nobility and i doubt that within a year she's going to be saying well forget my husband uh you know my love is for this artist goya i think that's highly unlikely if it's him who's so inflated with his own abilities and ego that he's decided to say only Goya is worthy of paintings. <laughs> That's pretty staggering. And <laughs> she must have loved. She must have loved painting, so she would have 
gone with it. It's really odd, actually. When you think about it, it's really very odd. I mean, did she know he was going to do this before he did it? Which is odd. And if she didn't, what would she have thought? Well, I mean, she's. I think I think she would have loved it. I mean, you think? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I, I think so. Actually, the more I looked at the, the painting, when when you sort of go in, you think, okay, this is the one. This is the big one. This yeah, is the one yeah. we're all going to get excited about. <clears throat> yeah. And then you you stand there and you, and you get really oh, I'm going to get really excited about this painting, and it is lovely. But actually, the more I've looked at it, just sort of over the last, you know, having a nice cup of tea now, and, uh, and actually, it is a lovely painting. She has got a wonderful expression on her face, and I'm, I love her clothes, of course. So I know she's meant to be looking. I mean, she looks amazing in those out in that outfit, beautiful. So yeah, I, I do. I can see the attraction of that painting, and it is as is, you know, she's she's really so. The finger pointing thing, the mystery again. We we all really like these stories. I guess it comes back to that sense of we're always seeking a narrative, aren't we? There's definitely more yeah. going on than just a woman standing. Exactly on the picture of the on the painting of the duke. Yeah. Probably no one's really glancing. I mean, I think I said to you, "Oh, his shoes might have been a bit uncomfortable to wear." Yeah. yeah. Something silly. But even even. Um, you know that part of Spain. I mean, even I mean that possibly. You know the lands that she owns and the rivers she's standing in front of, and there's obviously a, a reason for the landscape around her. Yeah. Um, and she's called upon, well, arguably the most famous artist in in Spain at the time. I mean, he was director of the Royal Academy from in in the Spanish Royal Academy from 1795. Um, He's painting for the court. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit before Napoleon invades and things get very dark in Spain, but only, you know, only, what, ten years before that, I suppose. Um, and he was, uh, he was deaf. Mm. Deafness is, a, is, is really hard. I mean, obviously a lot of disabilities are hard. Of course mm. they all are, mm. but you do become... Sort of like you can't really engage a lot with a massive social situation because you find it so hard to deal with because you can't really hear all the conversations that are going on. Yeah. So anything one to one. So if they were together in a sort of studio and mm, things like mm. that, I mean, was he totally deaf at the well, end? Well, apparently he's profoundly deaf. <clears throat> no one's yeah. quite sure why. No. So if you think he's been court painter to you know Charles the Fourth mm. previous decade. Mm. And part of that, as, as you know, if you know the story of Velazquez as well, same thing. Part of being a court painter is being part of the court. Right. And having all these conversations and keeping your ear to the ground and, you know... Yes. All the gossip and who's, yes. who's with who and who's trying to get influence over whom. And, um, and uh, yeah, so you might not have been part of that. Well, going profoundly deaf is going to really alienate you. Well, my... My nan, my nanny, the one I always talk about, yeah. she went deaf at 14. 14? Mm. Really? And she could play the piano and everything. She was wonderful. And she spent her whole life trying to get a hearing aid, something that would be able to, she could listen to music and listen to classical music. Mm. And it was, it was, it was 
hard to see, really hard to see. And she was the most, you know, wonderful, incredible woman, amazing knitting and all sorts of things. But she always wanted to be able to hear classical music. Why was, and she was not able to get that? No. And I always think that one of the things towards the end, she she really broke her heart, was the fact that, she, you know, she went to kind of a new modern hearing aid, think this was going to be the, the one. And then, no. Hmm. She never really got it. She used to hear it through her... Sometimes she would say she could hear it through her... You know, the beats through her mm. body. But, mm. yeah, when... So to lose that... I always think that when you could sort of... When you hear about these artists and what happens to them... Well, it's the great... Older. The great... Well... Obviously, an integral part of the story of Beethoven... <clears throat> is his progressive deafness. Mm. Um, what a horrible thing to happen to somebody like that. And it's unlikely that he went... Prof- that Beethoven, in Beethoven's case doesn't seem like he went profoundly deaf mm. but I mean that almost drove him to suicide mm. the famous letter that was found in in his desk called the Heiligenstadt testament and it was written to his brother and uh, but never sent or brothers but never sent but he talks about committing suicide because he says you know the one sense that i need yeah. is hearing and it's going yeah that yeah that um, is and that did alienate him. I mean, yeah. he couldn't hear people. He couldn't hear the natural world around him. Um, it's very interesting. He he commissioned louder, you know, louder and louder pianos. Oh, okay. Um, it was really interesting that. And yeah. the, the, the the difficulty with that is that if you and this happened to list, if you really these pianos at that time, if you really hammered them, actually they would just collapse. <laughs> and it's it's we're a little bit ahead of you know if you think of a Steinway or there are other makes of grand piano of course <laughs> but they have a steel frame so you can really <laughs> tighten the, the 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 strings inside but before that if it's just wood if you tighten it too much or you bang it too hard the yeah. whole thing just right collapses. Okay. Um, well but he he managed to get he he was part of the mo- momentum towards getting stronger louder pianos there's also an argument though in his case that some of his music is as a result of this internalized internal world that's created by not hearing the outside world not being influenced by what other people are doing because he can't hear them okay yeah um in 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 the film in search of beethoven there's a very good interview with a somebody from a string quartet who says, I think those late string quartets, which he thinks are a remarkable work of a genius, he said, I don't think they would have happened if he hadn't have been deaf, because it's such unusual music for that time. Right, yeah. So who can tell with Goya? Um, I mean, he clearly, a bit later, he has some very dark periods and some very dark paintings, and then certainly was traumatised, well, traumatised, he was deeply affected by the Napoleonic yeah. invasion and occupation of Spain, which as so often through history, was brutal. And Goya wasn't afraid to show that brutality. Yeah, some of his later paintings are, the faces are mm. amazing. Yeah. Which is why when you come back to that painting and the way she's looking at him, mm. if you consider then that people are saying that one of the most beautiful women in the world at that time mm. was maybe a little bit infatuated with him, mm. would have been wonderful for 
for him. He, you know, he probably loved it. They had you know time to spend together in the studios and painting and yeah. things that he didn't have to try to listen to all the other stuff or try to make head or tail of it, depending on if he could hear. So it's quite. I wonder if anyone's. Quite I mean, a sweet it's, story. Sounds, it's quite a good subject for a film, isn't it? I mean, just to. I mean, a fictional film where. Yeah. This this noble duchess falls for the. <laughs> for the for the humble artist. Anyway, <laughs> but speculation. <laughs> so there's a lot to say about this painting, and Goya is fascinating. And, and naturally, I recommend people. Um, sorry, let me go back a step. I've made a mistake. Of course, it's not from our Manet film. It's from our Goya film, which was later. Right. That's interesting that I got confused with Manet. Anyway, from the Goya film, and the curator of the Goya film was indeed Xavier Bray. And Xavier did tell me the story of how he had to beg and beg and beg to borrow that painting from the Hispanic Society. Um, So, sorry, yes. And he did get it in the end. Those of you who were in the process of writing in and saying, what are you talking about? It's got (laughs) nothing to do with Manet. Have you been drinking? No, I haven't. (laughs) Well, we no, we we could get close to it though. No. <laughs> the day is wearing on. You got you got a cup of tea, and I've got a, a cup of tea. Yes, I've got hot water. <laughs> anyway, it was Goya. We're so exciting. Um, <laughs> tea and but water. But it's, it's it's um, it's a fascinating film because he is a fascinating artist, and again, you do learn an awful lot not only about the history of art but about the history of Spain. Now, something interesting happened though. So what you're about to notice, unusually, is that on, the, um, on YouTube, for example, or, or indeed, you may already have seen uh, on the Seventh Art site, we actually have two paintings <laughs> rather than one. Because there were hundreds, I don't know how many artworks were on display, yep. a couple of hundred maybe, I'm guessing. Mm. And as we were reaching the conclusion of the exhibition, Funnily enough, I asked, I said to Laura, almost simultaneously to Laura saying to me, okay, so of all the artworks, which is your favourite? Which one would you hang in your living room? <laughs> which is a kind of little game we play from time to time. <laughs> Isn't it, Laura? <laughs> yeah. Go with it, go with it. <laughs> well, some people might be hoping for Cluedo. <laughs> but no. No, but it's it's fun. exciting times. Yeah, but when you go to an exhibition, oh no, I love that. It's quite fun to say, "What's your favorite?" What's your favorite? <laughs> and but what was funny was that we both picked the same painting. Yeah, and it's a painting that neither of us had seen before. Mm. I will declare that I had not heard of this artist, and having done some reading subsequently, I'm a little bit surprised that I haven't registered this person's name before. But the painting, if you have a look at it. It's called, um, no, that's not the right one. It's called uh, Girls of Bariana, which um, I don't know if the original title would be in Catalan oh, or maybe. in Spanish. Anyway, in English, it's yes. Girls of Bariana. Mm. Um, actually, there is a Spanish title in brackets, Falleras. Okay, yeah, it must be the original title, yeah. Falleras. And um, this is by an artist called Hermen Anglada Camarasa. And when you look him up, look him up under Anglada. Yes. Born in Barcelona in 1871, dies in Mallorca 1959, which interestingly is a, that's a, 
that's a route that I was reading about Miro the other day. I think he, I think Miro starts in Barcelona, if I'm not mistaken, and ends in Mallorca. Um, anyway. Feels um, like a nice thing to happen. A really interesting artist. And, um, you know, we're in the process of making a film about Klimt and there's immediate connections, you know, similarities to, to some of Klimt's work. And it does indeed appear that they knew each other and exhibited together. I think Anglada was influenced by Klimt rather than the other way around. But this particular picture, um, Girls of Bariana, we both think is fantastic. No, it's, it, was, it was wonderful. It was so lovely, wasn't it? Folk, sort of folk-like maybe, is that a thing you could say? I don't know. But the colours the, the, were so vibrant. It just it took the whole room away for me. Yeah, really did. And I think we both did, which when, when you said you liked it as well, I was like, well, I can imagine that I would have liked it because of the clothes and everything mm. else. But we were like, you were, oh, I'm gonna, that's my favourite too. Well. Mm. That, we were both a bit shocked by that, really, Phil. Okay, so tell me why why that was the one you'd have on. I don't your... know. I think it was it was just felt so joyous. Yeah. And it it they're lovely. It, what isn't there to like about that painting? I'm sure somebody doesn't like it. There's a little dog, in the left bottom left sort of yeah. bottom left. One of the ladies is sort of stroking. Um, it you... just feels it just feels warm. So have you ever been to a feria in Spain? No. Okay, that's interesting. Because I have, and so part of this for me is, rem, you know, rem, remembering how uh, I, I went to ones in Seville mainly when I was making um, Spain in the Shadow of the Sun, and it is the most joyous, joyous few oh, days. Oh, well, there we are then. So do you think that's why you... No, no, it's not. No. But, it, but I think sometimes paintings tap into a memory, and, you know, this is the, these women are dressed in the traditional manner, which is still copied today. The, the the dress and the hair pieces and the fans and this that and the other, um, for me it's actually the colour and actually the the the, the way in which he, he's painted. Um, I mean, it, it. I would look at this painting and immediately say, you know, this is about nineteen five, nineteen ten. Mm. You, you start to feel those other artists. You know, you got that little bit of a sense of. Matisse and the Fauves, maybe there's a little bit of Picasso, a little bit of Klimt in there, and it must—it was a wonderful time. I mean, obviously, it's not the only way people are painting at that time, but um, this feels like very much like that that 1900, 1915 period in Western Europe, at least, of course. Um, if that's your traditional outfit to go out in, though, I like it. I think it's wonderful. I just love it. I you love would, those. <laughs> you, you would love it, going out to a feria. <laughs> I would. They just dance all night and there's, you know... So the whole... Is 6 a.m. Sort of... you have your churros and chocolate and... Oh, yeah, no, I, I can feel this. Yeah, that's... I can... That would be wonderful. Is it where the whole town and village sort of yeah. closes? You know, the women... Everybody... Everyone's on horseback. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of history in there and... Mm. Yeah, there is a degree of status, and but I mean, there is a lot of music and companionship, and and the horses are decorated like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got the skirts, the shawls, little mantelletas, I think. I think I the, need to. The combs, pen, penitas, something, um, and it goes on for two or three days. It it's um, 
these things are very popular in Catalonia as well, not just in, in uh, the south of Spain, in fact, throughout Spain. Um, but it is funny that we both picked that painting. And the, the, the guilds, yeah. I think, of the, the Fayas. I mean, Valencia, these days, if you went to one of their, I don't know if it's the same period, but they famously have, like we do down the road in Lewis, have the famous um, effigies. So in Lewis, they get burnt. Oh, yeah. And Valencia is really famous for it, but Barcelona too. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of a sense of this being a southern Andalusian tradition, but actually, you know, there'll be ferias throughout Spain and these kind of things happening throughout Spain. Well, um, that's exactly why I would like that on my wall. It's just colourful, it feels joyous. Yeah, um, well, just, it, I it mean, would just be lovely. That for me, it's worth going to the exhibition just to look at this painting because it's fantastic. Um, and of course, it also what it also shows you is that, you know, a, a good exhibition will almost invariably have a surprise. You know, you think, for example, the Vermeer exhibition in, in at the Rijksmuseum. You, know, you might go thinking, "Oh, I'd love to see the girl with a pearl earring," or "Girl with a pearl earring." Yeah. But then you see I'm a woman reading a letter, or I mean, there's, or I don't know, Mary and Martha, or. You'll see something and think, oh, wow, that's actually... I mean, a very good example of that is the Monk exhibition that we filmed on this 150th anniversary. And, of course, the scream is so well known. That would probably just about get into the top ten for me of his works. Yeah. Going around that exhibition, there were so many works which I didn't know, which were absolutely fantastic. Um, so that, that, was, that was a funny thing. There was so many other paintings and... Artifacts, really, that were... Yeah, and that's... Yeah. You went in thinking, OK, Duchess of Alba. <laughs> then I saw the wedding... that We saw that there was a wedding at Cana. Yeah. Which is a beautiful... Uh, yeah. A wood panel with Mother of Pearl. Because we always laugh about my story of the wedding of Cana in the Louvre. Yeah. Which is the one I remember the most. And it was in the same room as the Mona Lisa. Whether it is still now, I don't know. It's massive. I think it still faces it, actually. Yeah, so... And this was... Where was this one from, the wedding at Cana? What did we know about that? What, the one that we was in the yeah. Royal Academy? Yeah. From Mexico. From Mexico. Yeah. So, oh. Which is, you know... I wonder if it was a, um, a native Mexican or a Spanish... Conquistador. We'll have to let people go and have a look. Because the date is it was about mid seventeenth century, wasn't yeah. it? It was lovely. So yeah, hundred percent. But isn't it funny that we both came out? So there we are, Phil. So I thoroughly recommend. And one one aside, although I find things pretty pricey in cafes and restaurants these days, don't we all? But um, that little, would you call it a cafe? What do you call it? Anyway, we had lunch there, didn't we? In mm. the Royal Academy. At the back, yes. So back in in what was the Museum of London on the first floor, and it was really nice. Which is where you showed me part of their permanent collection. Oh right, so yes. yes well, thank you, you very much. Yeah. So if you go to, if you go to the back of the Royal Academy, and if you come to London, you've got to do this. They have their permanent collection. So just to name two pieces, they have a rondo by Michelangelo, which is, you know obviously extremely rare 
and very interesting. But what they also have is a full-scale replica of The Last Supper. Yeah, <laughs> which now, I have now seen. <laughs> now, people will make a beeline to go to Milan to see the original in the, um, uh, uh, the dining room of that particular monastery which, for which it was painted. It was painted straight onto the wall as a fresco. Leonardo tried a kind of new technique. It didn't work terribly well. It started to fade and decay pretty quickly. Um, obviously, that's, you know, what, 500 years ago, so it suffered some wear and tear. Napoleon, when he was conquering Europe, seriously thought about taking the wall <laughs> down or basically taking it off the wall until somebody said, you'll just fall apart. You don't, don't. <laughs> but he, he, you know, on his, in his train, you know, these armies that crisscrossed Europe leaving a trail of destruction, but they were, you know, part of the train. Not only was it, was there, you know, all the food and logistics and, and uh, oh, various other things, but one mm. of the things was they had art collectors and they were basically steal as much art as they could and bring it back to the Louvre or, you know, so our collections here or in France or in Spain or some of that is through war and conquest, mm. which is a bit unpleasant. If you go to Milan to see it, though, The Last Supper, it has an, an air about it because that's the original place that Leonardo worked, but the painting itself was faded. Pretty soon after it was first painted, and it's suggested that it was done by his workshop, Leonardo's yeah. own workshop, they did a full-scale copy. Maybe they even realised it was fading. Mm. Or maybe it was that they knew they, you know, they wanted to show it as an example of their work, or maybe it was just so the students could try to copy the master... Who knows why? Um, and this has ended up at the Royal Academy. And the reason it's so important is that, first of all, you can get up close. I mean, you can't turn up in Milan and expect to go into the... Uh, to see it. You have to pre-book. And um, Secondly, the colours have, you know, are much closer to how Leonardo originally painted. So you get a real sense of what the painting originally looked like. There's details that you can see that you can't see now in the other painting. Um, you get a real sense of the scale, don't yeah. you? Yeah, oh, it was exciting. It was really, and people don't, people miss it. So, and I was lucky enough to see it. Yeah. So, irrespective of of exhibitions, go to the Royal Academy mm. just to see their, and there's, you know they have other artworks in there. Some of the Royal Academicians have, <laughs> have donated works, and I, but, I love the Royal Academy. But it also did answer that one question that we had the other week about. Uh, going to see what was it the 3d art and if it was mm. if it was a copy it didn't answer it completely however when you showed it to me i said this is actually really exciting and it is really lovely to see yeah. so actually it was nice to see a copy yeah, in I mean, its we, entirety yeah. to give you that uh, that whole scale yeah yeah all the things that we were noticing the bread rolls the bread rolls <laughs> Just the, like the, crease, the creases on the on the tablecloth, which are oh, yeah. <laughs> cannot cannot be realistic, because there's no way you could fold the no. tablecloth that much. But it's interesting that he even bothered to put creases in the tablecloth. Yeah, no, it was really lovely, um, and it was a real surprise. And it was yeah, just before our lunch, so we were busy with the bread bowl. We were... <laughs> <laughs> That's why we focused on the bread rolls because we were hungry. <laughs> and on that bombshell, <laughs> as they used to say, there's more tea for us. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, the exhibition, I don't, I uh, can't remember offhand how long it's I on think for. I think we decided at April. I think oh, it went on until April. April. With that, yeah. So mm. if you're listening to this in the first week of its release, which is March 2023, you've still got a few weeks. Mm. Otherwise, as ever with these exhibitions, the catalogues are always very good. Um, or, of course, if you're in New York, yeah. um, when the Hispanic Society reopens, Museum and Library reopens, um, you can check go, out these artworks. Go to, go to New York, why not? Let's go. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Painting of the Week podcast. For more information, please visit our website at seventh-art.com or contact us by emailing info at seventh-art.com. See you next time.